0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that was read. And now as we go into the preaching of your word, we ask for your help. We ask for you to send the Holy Spirit that he might give us illumination, that he might do his work, the work that only he can do in sanctifying us, in shaping our hearts in alignment to your word, that we might obey your commands with a willingness with a cheerfulness of heart. We pray all these things for your glory and for the good and the building up of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first off, I want to welcome all of you who are new to our church, especially to those college students who are starting off your college career in the midst of a pandemic. Normally, this would be the time of year for you to visit new churches and to meet new people, but sadly, we can't meet in person right now. I'm grateful that somehow you are connected with us, and I do hope that very soon I might be able to meet you in person. I also want to say welcome back to those returning students who are rejoining us virtually I'm sure you're as disappointed as we are that we're in the same place as we were last semester. Um, And, you know, it's just really been tough on all of us having to be separated for so long. That's why we are thankful that we at least still have home worship together. Now, I know it doesn't compare to corporate worship as an assembled church. It's not an adequate alternative. And that's why we are praying for the day that we can safely regather. But we are still thankful for home worship nonetheless. Now, we just finished a summer series through the book of James, and we're going to be starting a new one next week through the book of Micah. For those of you who are new, you should probably know that one thing we love to do here at HCC is to preach straight through books of the Bible. We want to let God set the agenda in our pulpit. And so, what we typically do is we go back and forth between Old and New Testament books, trying to expose you to the whole counsel of God. Now, this morning, though, in order to tie us between two series, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to preach on just a single verse of Scripture. Now, of course, I'm still going to set it in its larger biblical context, but we're going to focus on one verse that I think speaks directly to our present challenges that we are facing as this pandemic prolongs with really no clear end in sight. And on top of this national uh, health crisis that we're dealing with, we're also experiencing tension and strife over issues related to race and politics. There's so much division. There's so much disagreement in our nation, even among Christians. With the upcoming election, it feels like everything is on the line. We just had two straight weeks of party conventions. And the one thing that both parties seem to agree upon is that it's going to be the end of all things good and decent if the other party wins in December or in November. The future looks bleak no matter which way you cut it. And so that's why I'm not surprised if many of you are feeling a bit anxious right now. Because on top of all that, you have the added burden of your own struggles. Some of you have health concerns. Some of you have relational problems, financial troubles. It's been weighing heavy on you. And so it wouldn't surprise me if the primary emotion you are feeling right now is discouragement or despair, frustration or exasperation, annoyance or anger. I think those feelings are understandable. But friends, according to our verse this morning, they're not excusable. You should be forewarned that our verse contains a biblical command that has the potential to crush your spirit. But I think it also possesses a great power to lift you up out of the pits out of the gloom and misery of your present circumstance and to lift you up to a place of genuine gratitude with a true spirit of thankfulness to the Lord. So if you can, please turn your attention with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I really do hope you have a Bible available in front of you, opened up so you can follow along. Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. And as with most of his letters, he ends his letters with a number of apostolic commands. Now, earlier we had just uh, heard it read starting in chapter five, verse nine, but right now I just want to read three related commands in verses 16 to 18, but we're really just going to focus on that last one in verse 18. So listen now, verse 16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I want to make three observations from verse 18 that have the potential to crush a weary soul. But I do this because I know that the Word of God only crushes in order to heal. Notice with me. The continual nature of all three commands found here. Always, without ceasing, in all circumstances. That means there's no break, no reprieve, no exceptions. When it comes to giving thanks in verse 18, it's expected all the time. We are talking here about a ceaseless gratitude. Now, considering the circumstances we're in right now, that's a hard ask. That feels like an impossible command. Like I said, this verse, verse has the potential to crush you. But remember, though God bruises the reed, he will not break it. Though he lets the wick smolder, he won't snuff it out. So I I do hope you do feel the heavy weight of this verse, but more so I hope that you find rest under the pillar of hope that is latent in this verse. So let's look at the first observation in verse 18. And that's this, that ceaseless gratitude is not a choice. Paul makes it clear that being grateful is not a recommendation. It's not just good advice. Giving thanks is not just God's best for you. It's God's will for you. It's his command. His will doesn't just express his desire. It expresses his demand for us. So that means if you're not thankful right now, you are in opposition to God's will. If you're not grateful this morning, you are disobeying the will of God. That's heavy. I know. Like I said, this is a crushing verse. There's no choice here. Just a command. Now, I know some of you will react to verse 18 and think, okay, sure. What's so hard about that? If God wants me to be grateful, if he's commanding me to give thanks, well, then yeah, I'll just get down on my knees and I'll give thanks. I'll do it. I'll obey. But those who think that this command is easily obeyed fail to understand the very nature of gratitude. Gratitude is not a choice in the sense that it's not an act of the will. You can't make yourself grateful by choice. You can't just say the words, thank you, and call that gratitude. The parents among us understand the difference. You can train a child to say the words, thank you, whenever he receives a gift. But if his birthday or if Christmas is around the corner and he's been asking for that newest video game or for a brand new basketball, but instead you give him a hand-knit sweater, well, you might get a dutiful thank you, out of him. But I don't think you would call that gratitude. That's obedience in some form, but it's not gratitude. Gratitude, my friends, is a matter of the heart. It's a spontaneous feeling of joyful appreciation. You can't make yourself feel it. It can't be forced. Genuine gratitude is a feeling that arises uncoerced within the heart. So that means verse 18 is not just commanding us to do a certain thing, but to feel a certain way. We really have to read verse 18 in light of verse 16. So that means this command to give thanks in all circumstances has to be read alongside the command to rejoice always. You can't be truly grateful to God without a glad heart towards God. And that's why we're saying, That ceaseless gratitude is not a choice. It's a command and it's a command that we can't will ourselves to obey. It's not as simple as telling yourself, I'm going to be grateful right now. It's not a choice. So do you see how crushing this one little verse can be? Do you see how heavy it is? Well, it doesn't get any lighter with our second observation second, ceaseless gratitude is not circumstantial. Look back at verse 18 and notice how we are commanded to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I can understand if some are going to question if Paul really meant all to be taken literally as in all possible circumstances, including difficult, painful, traumatic circumstances. Did he really expect his readers to read that much into one little word? Did he really expect the Thessalonian believers to give thanks even in the worst of circumstances? Well, to answer that question, we're going to have to interpret this one verse in light of the entire context of the letter. So based on what we do learn about the present circumstances among the Thessalonians, I think it's pretty clear that Paul really meant all as in all possible circumstances. Let's look at the start of this letter. If you can, please turn with me to chapter one, verse six. And here Paul commends the Thessalonians by saying this, quote, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So apparently the Thessalonians were experiencing severe affliction when Paul came preaching the gospel to them. Now, if we turn to chapter 2, verse 14, here Paul elaborates on the nature of this affliction. He says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So his readers were being persecuted by their own unbelieving neighbors. And we know from Acts chapter 17, That when Paul first visited Thessalonica, he was quickly run out of town by an angry mob that attacked the house that he was staying in. And then the newly converted Thessalonian believers were dragged from their very homes and they were brought before the authorities. And so the context paints for us a very clear picture of religious persecution. The Thessalonians were being mistreated and marginalized by their neighbors they were being oppressed and suppressed by governing authorities. Knowing all of this makes what we read in chapter 1, verse 6, all the more surprising that these believers received the gospel and all of its accompanying trials with joy. They were rejoicing. So when Paul ends his letter with a command to give thanks in all circumstances, the Thessalonians didn't brush it off as impossible or unreasonable. They, they didn't water down this command, uh, limiting it to just favorable circumstances. No, they read it as Paul meant it. That all meant all, as in all circumstances, even unfavorable ones. But friends, please don't misinterpret the point. Paul is not commanding us to give thanks for all circumstances. He doesn't expect us to give thanks for the trials themselves. It's just like how we saw back in James chapter one, that we are told to count it all joy when we experience trials of many kinds. We're to rejoice for the occasion of a trial, not for the trial itself. And so that's why in verse 18, it says that we are to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. So in other words, the object of your gratitude, the the source of those spontaneous feelings of joyful appreciation is not the bad circumstance in itself. You don't have to like all of your circumstances. In fact, there are some that you can legitimately dislike. You can hate cancer. You can despise racial injustice. You can be sick of this pandemic Let's be clear here. Paul is not asking you to be grateful for these legitimately bad circumstances. But when you find yourself in these circumstances, then he does expect you as he does for himself to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing in those circumstances. So, I hope that lightens the load of this verse just a bit for you. For those of you who thought that the Bible was somehow minimizing the severity of our sickness or suffering, making light of the pain or the loss that we feel when we experience things like unemployment or a breakup or a divorce or the death of a loved one. It's a relief to know that we are not being commanded to tell God, thank you for this disease ravaging my body, or thank you for the end of my marriage. Thank you for the death of my child. No, that would be cruel. That would be heartless. We are not commanded to be thankful for those things. But even, even with that important clarification, I know that this is still a very heavy verse with a very heavy expectation to still feel gratitude in those circumstances. This gratitude commanded in our verse is to be ceaseless and not circumstantial. That means it is to be in season and out, in good times and bad, in comfort and affliction we are to give thanks to the Lord. But considering the trials we're facing as a nation, considering the personal trials you may be going through yourself, I can understand if you're not feeling much gratitude towards God, you might be just emotionally numb right now. Or if you are feeling anything, you're feeling something like doubt or distrust, maybe even anger. But gratitude, how are we expected to feel ceaseless gratitude? Well, this leads to our third observation, which I believe will be a huge relief to you. Friends, the verse is clear. That ceaseless gratitude was never expected to be found in you. Paul understands that true gratitude is not something that you can will into existence. It's not something that comes natural to any of us. If we look into the natural heart of man, instead, what we're going to find is ingratitude, entitlement, suspicion, fear, not thankfulness. But there are three words in verse 18 that offer for us a pillar of hope a pillar of hope that's going to lift up your weary soul, a pillar that will enable you to stand up under this crushing weight of a command to give thanks in all circumstances. Friends, those three words are in Christ Jesus. This ceaseless gratitude is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That means God only wills this kind of thankfulness, in relation to Christ. Apart from Christ, we are too sinful to feel how we ought to feel towards God. So that means the only way to feel a ceaseless gratitude in all circumstances is by fulfilling this command in Christ Jesus. That means we attempt to fulfill this command in light of Christ, in light of what he has done. And as Christians, we are enabled than to give thanks in all circumstances, because Christ has done something for us. And what has he done for us? Well, to put it simply, Christ has given us a future, one that we can look forward to with true gratitude, no matter your life circumstance, no matter if it's good or if it's bad, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have a far better future to look forward to. That's the one ray of hope that Paul consistently shines throughout this letter. If you ever get a chance to read first Thessalonians for yourself, you're going to notice that every chapter ends with a reference to the future. Every chapter ends specifically with a mention of the coming of the Lord to this future day of the Lord, when Christ will return to establish his kingdom and to make all things new. That my friends is exactly what a suffering church needs to hear. That is going to give them a reason to be grateful. Now, Friends, we're going to see that there are at least three things that Christ will bring when he comes that Paul mentions in his letter. First, on that day, Christ will bring retribution. He will establish perfect justice on this earth. You see, in his first coming, Jesus humbled himself and he took on the role of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God highly exalted him so that in his return, in his second coming, Christ will appear as king and judge over the living and the dead. And on that day, his holy wrath, his righteous anger will be poured out against all expressions of sin and injustice. Paul refers to this coming wrath in chapter one, verse 10. And later on in chapter two, verse 16, where there he says that this wrath of God is going to come upon those who are persecuting the Thessalonians. So do you see what he's doing? Paul is giving suffering Christians hope in the promise that perfect justice will one day prevail. Even though in this life, they've been wrongly persecuted and they've suffered at the hands of the wicked, they can still rejoice. They can be grateful in these circumstances, looking forward to the future, to the day when Jesus brings perfect justice. Friends, I can't see any other way to be grateful in this season of societal rest that we find ourselves in. Our nation is reeling after yet another police-related shooting, and it sparked more protests and further violence and killing. And predictably, there is just so much back and forth over who's really to blame and, and what's really the cause of all of this tension. And there's so many viewpoints. There, there are so many arguments. It just feels exhausting, It feels overwhelming. There's so much hate, so much wrongdoing, so much violence. How can we possibly give thanks? How can we possibly be grateful in times like these? Church, it's only possible in Christ Jesus. No one should be thankful for these circumstances. But in these circumstances, we still hold on to the belief that Christ is coming again. And on that day, the guilty will be exposed and perfect justice will be served. So we can be grateful knowing that there will be a day when the wrath of God will burn away all traces of evil and injustice in this world. And all the wrongs that grieve us now will be set right. We hold on to that hope When Jesus returns. And not only that, that's not all. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, on that day, Christ will bring a reunion. He will reunite believers who are still alive with those who have died in Him. That's Paul's point, starting in chapter 4, verse 13. You see, some of the Thessalonians were grieving over the death of loved ones who had fallen asleep in Christ, meaning they died trusting in Christ. So Paul reminds them that when Jesus returns, he is going to bring with him their lost loved ones who died as believers. And there's going to be this sweet reunion in the clouds. So listen to chapter four, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ. So in light of what Christ has done, because he died and rose again, we have reasons to be thankful, even when we lose the ones we love. I know some of you are still mourning the loss of your spouse or of a child, or of a family member or friend, someone who died trusting in the Lord. It's only right for you to grieve, but you don't have to grieve as others do who have no hope. Because of Christ Jesus, you have a reunion to look forward to. You will see that brother or sister who died in Christ. They're not truly gone. They just gone ahead of you. You're going to be catching up to them soon. and so you will on that day, see their face and you'll feel their embrace and everything sad right now will come untrue. No one should ever give thanks for death, but Christians, Christians are the ones who can give thanks in the face of death. But friends, you know, what's even better than retribution over enemies and a sweet reunion with friends, what makes us even more grateful is that on that day, Christ will bring full redemption. He will bring with him the fullness of our salvation. If you repent of your sins and you trust in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you can rightly speak of having been saved. That's that's common speech for us Christians. Because at the moment of your conversion, the moment you first believe, you become a new creation. You become a child of God. You become a Christian. We speak commonly of salvation in the past tense. But though Christ has paid sin's penalty for us, and though he has freed us from sin's power, the reality is that the remnants of sin's presence still reside in us as Christians. And that's why through the work of the Holy Spirit, we would say that we are still being saved. That's something in the present tense. And then one day on that glorious day of the Lord, we will be saved in the future tense. And on that day, the unbelieving world will be purged by the fires of God's holy wrath, but his people, the redeemed are destined not to suffer wrath, but to enjoy salvation. Listen to chapter five, verse nine, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the death That Jesus died on the cross in our place, satisfied God's wrath. And you have to understand that his wrath never burns twice in the same place. And so as long as you are in Christ Jesus, you are hiding in him, you are safe. On that final day of judgment, you won't suffer wrath. Instead, you'll experience salvation the fullness of our redemption. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. And we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So you see friends, when Paul commands our gratitude, even in the midst of sorrowful circumstances, he's not trying to make light of our sorrows. He's trying to place our sorrows in light of the cross. Because of what Christ has done for us in the past, what he's doing for us in the present and what he will do for us in the future. We have every reason to be grateful, every reason to give thanks, no matter the circumstances. That spontaneous feeling of joyful appreciation that comes from having a clear view of what's to come of that dreadful yet glorious day of the Lord. On July 4th, 1952, Florence Chadwick was determined to become the first woman to swim from Catalina Island to mainland California. It was a mind-blowing 21 miles through rough ocean waves. But the fog was so thick that day that she could hardly see her support boats. After 15 straight hours of swimming, Chadwick strained her eyes forward, desperately searching for land. But all she could see was this thick, soupy fog around her. At this point, weary with exhaustion, all she could think about was quitting. Now, she held the world record for the fastest time across the English channel. So she was at this point a celebrity. And that means millions of viewers were watching on national television, hoping to see another record. But 15 hours in and she was at her breaking point, staring into the fog. She lost all hope and she asked to be pulled out. It wasn't until later when she was safely on the boat that she learned that the shore was less than half a mile away at a news conference later, as she reflected on her decision to quit Chadwick explained quote, all I could see was the fog. Look, I'm not excusing myself, but I think that if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it friends. I think that's the reason that's the reason we struggle with ceaseless gratitude. It's because our eyes have lost sight of the shore. There is so much fog in our lives right now that it's all we can see. And so when it comes to these biblical commands for endurance and perseverance, to rejoice always, to pray unceasingly, to give thanks in all circumstances, they end up feeling like heavy weights that are dragging us down to the ocean floor. If all you can see is fog, then I'm not surprised if you're ready to quit on verse 18. But the gospel of Christ crucified and resurrected ascended and seated at the right hand of God, coming back again to bring retribution and reunion and full redemption. Friends, this good news is like a beam of light breaking through the clouds, scattering the fog, revealing for us the shore and giving us a glimpse of that great day of the Lord. The key, my friends, is to stay in the light as he is in the light to keep the gospel at the front and center. And so that's why in addition to preaching straight through books of the Bible, we here at HCC also value preaching the gospel in every sermon. We want to keep shining the good news of Jesus Christ into your eyes every single week in order to scatter the fog and to help you see the shore. But remember, that shore is only going to be inviting if you are safely found in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Otherwise, it's going to be like swimming towards the beaches of Normandy under German occupation. All you're going to find waiting for you is wrath and judgment on the shore. If you're not in Christ, then the day of the Lord will be a day of condemnation for you. The trials of this life will be the least of your worries. If you are not found safely in Christ. And so friends, I urge you to place your trust in Jesus, to run to him for rescue. And why not today? Why not today? Why, why wait another day and to prolong your anxiety and your uncertainty about the future today, your future can change, which will make you so much hope more hopeful and it will transform how you see your present circumstances, which will make you grateful. Isn't that what you want to be grateful to the Lord in all circumstances? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Christ Jesus, to be our savior, to be the one who takes the wrath of God, to take holy justice for us in our place on the cross, securing for us a future, one of true peace, of true blessing one of true hope that we can look forward to. I pray that all who are listening today will experience this same hope and this same gratitude in Christ Jesus. I pray this all in his name. Amen.